See, when we come to God, we come to Him, and, and they tell us that all things are possible to Him who believes, and then He starts showing us the impossible, and it's hard for us to believe. <laughs> we get words over our life, and we see pictures for ourselves that we can't see getting there. But what if God had the way to get there? What if His plans for our life was the actual mode that he was going to use to propel us into our destinies? What if everything that he purposed for us, we couldn't do in ourselves? What if it actually was dependent upon him to perform his will in our lives? Because apart from him, Jesus said that you can do nothing. <laughs> I've had great words over my life. When we went to see Mark Brendenkamp, when I was still a sinner, he called me out of the crowd. I was with Mark and Val. This is probably close to 17 years ago. He called me out of a crowd. I was still a sinner at that time. I had just started going to church. I hadn't dedicated my life to the Lord. He called me out of the crowd and he said that you will reach millions of people. And he said that your name is an evangelist. And he pointed to the sign and he said, just like me. It's been 15 years. <laughs> And that still looks as impossible as the very day I started. <laughs> but my goal in life and ministry is not the volume of people. God said I would reach a large volume. It's not the volume of people. Because we look at the more numbers, that's better, right? Millions is better than 12. But if you establish millions with the wrong message, those millions are no better off than 12. The message of grace is so important. I can see why now I'm just beginning to take the baby steps into the fullness of my calling. <laughs> because I had to be matured. It was always God's will to bring me to this place. But I had to reach a spiritual level of comprehension where I could understand that the work is not going to be from what I've done, but what He's already done. And it's resting in what He's already done. I want you guys to actually pursue something in your life that could only take God. Get before Him. Find out what it is. Let it be bigger than what you can accomplish on your own so that when it comes to pass, He gets the glory and not you. <laughs> People have to say, that was God, because I know you. <laughs> I honestly believe that God, our Father, is trying to inspire our hearts to believe again. Because disappointment has the potential to set on any of us. Anytime you've struggled with something for a while, and it's been persistent, sometimes that becomes bigger than the Jesus inside of us. Because we know that if Jesus was sleeping in our boat and the storm came, that he would rebuke the waves, the winds, and the seas. The storm wouldn't be an issue to us if we knew that Jesus was in our boat. Well, Jesus is in our boat because he's in our lives. He lives inside of us. He said that me and the Father shall come and make our abode with the man that puts their trust in the Son. That we will make our home in him. You know what abode is? It's a permanent residency. God moved in. And he didn't evict you when he moved in. I love it. 
He didn't evict you when he moved in. Your house became his house and his house became yours. <laughs> That's amazing, ain't it? That the God of the universe would decide to live inside of a man. The scripture says that he covers the span of the earth with his hand. Yet he is able to put himself inside of a man. So that the impossible things that need to get done in the earth can get done. Because God's not doing anything outside of a man. He's not. You see, Satan will try to force his will working through another man. God will never do that. That's why it's a covenant of cooperation. It's a covenant of cooperation. If you want it, you can have it. If you don't, you won't. Even though it's been there for us the whole time. Before any of us were ever born, Jesus had already died, the covenant had already been cut, and the plans of God have already been laid for our life. And it's our decision whether we choose to walk in it or not. And if we choose not to walk in the early stages of it, he'll pick us up halfway through and say, you walked half of this, I can give you a ride the next. You know what? He's still going the same direction. And he'll pick us up towards the end and say, you know, you only got a little while left, I'm willing to take you there. It's just our willingness. See, because sometimes we pray to God like, God, please touch me. Please use my life. Do something. You know, I need you. And we act like we want God more than he wants us. And it's a lie. It's a lie. He went through the gravest cost that anyone has ever paid. And he did it because he wanted to be with us. He didn't want to be separate from us. He wanted to be with us. I'm going to preach a message today that's called a righteousness without end. And we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 1. And it says, verse 1, God, who in different times and in different manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. God has spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Look again at verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. When it says the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, it means the exact representation of who God is. Jesus on earth to us, to humanity, was an exact representation of who God is. So if anyone has ever struggled with healing, healing is the will of God. It is the will of God. Anything that Jesus did in his natural earth ministry, he did it as a man, but he was showing us who God was. Because Jesus was rejected by the Samaritans, James and John said, Lord, 
Shall we call down like Elijah did, fire from heaven and consume them? And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of because the Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. If you see destruction in anyone's life that you know, you can't say it's God. God doesn't take innocent children and do bad things to them. God doesn't need another angel in heaven because he stopped making angels. It says, are they not all ministering spirits who are sent to minister unto those who shall receive salvation? That's us. Angels are meant to minister to the children of God because we're sons. When we die, we don't become angels. We live as children in God's courts forever in his house, not as angels. If you want to live as an angel, you're living as a servant. (laughs) And a servant, the scripture says, doesn't abide in the house forever. (laughs) You know that? Praise God. I love angels. I do. I thank God for them. Except the fallen ones. They're cursed. (laughs) But there's angels that loved God so much that when Satan tried to rebel against God with all his splendor, they refused to leave. The angels of the Lord love him. And they love the things that he loves. And it says that they long to look into the things pertaining to man and salvation. It's a marvel in their eyes because nobody was coming to die for Satan. (laughs) Because Satan wasn't created as a son. He was created as an angel. Adam and Eve were created as sons and daughters of God. You were created as a son or a daughter of God. That's why the song that we sung is so powerful. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. When we were singing that, I got this picture in my mind of someone trying to take one of my kids and the extent that I would go to to get them back. Is there any extent that you wouldn't go to if someone tried to take one of your kids? Well, two of God's kids were taken in the garden, (laughs) and there was no extent that he wouldn't go to even dying a man's death upon the cross to get us back. Because we are God's children who be in the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. How are we purged from sin? Jesus Jesus purged us from sin. If we have no sin in the eyes of God, what does that make us? Right. We would be righteous in the eyes of God without sin. When he had by himself purged our sin, he sat down on the majesty. He sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. So, If we have no sin in the eyes of God because Jesus alone was able to purge our sin and there's no more sin left in my spirit, what does that make me before God? Right. Righteous. I'm going to share something with you. Adam and Eve, when they were made, they were made in the glory and they were made in the image of God 
and they were made in his likeness. So they were made in his image and likeness, and they were clothed with his glory. They had the glory on them. Okay? When they sinned, they lost their right standing with God. They lost their righteousness, and they became unright in the eyes of God because sin came through one man, the scripture says. And it says that righteousness came through another man, the last man. Okay? So, if they were made in the image and the likeness of God, when they sinned, they lost the glory and they lost their right standing, which means that they didn't have the righteousness of God. They had their own righteousness. Even though they were created in the likeness and image of God, they were still in their own righteousness, which means they could mess it up. Because when they sinned, they became unright. God superseded what Adam and Eve lost through choice. And he gave us the choice that we could actually take and embrace his righteousness. We became the righteousness of God in Christ. Adam and Eve had the potential to lose their righteousness, and they did when they sinned. We don't have the potential in Christ to lose our righteousness when we sin because it's not our righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness. We can't lose right standing with God when we sin because they were able to, he said, I have to do something that exceeds that, that they can't break and they can't mess up. And he said, let's give them our righteousness. <laughs> let's give them our righteousness. So we became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So now my right standing with God isn't based upon anything that I do, good or bad. It's based upon what Jesus did. There's a lie that is embraced in Christianity, and it's that if we sin, we break fellowship with God. I used to believe it. I used to teach it that our sin could break fellowship with God. How could any of us be saved if sin could break fellowship with God because we were all sinners? How could we have fellowship with God right now if our sin separated us from him any longer? The blood of Jesus connected us to God and then God moved into our spirit. He might not agree with everything you bring into the house, but he's not moving out. He's not going to ignore you. He's not going to go silent on you because of some sin in your life. Sin cannot break fellowship with God. If it could, none of us could be saved because we were all sinners. Because the scripture says that none were righteous, no, not one. All had fallen short of the glory of God. If I was able to break my fellowship with God, that means that I would have man's righteousness. We have an unending righteousness, which means I can stand before the Father in a right position despite what I did. Am I a promoter of sin? No, I'm not a promoter of sin. There's a reason why the Bible says to the believer that sin, when it's full grown, will bring forth death. The Apostle Paul said that he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And you think sexual sins is one of them that'll keep you out of heaven? I don't think so. The Apostle Paul said that uh, whoever joins himself to a harlot joins Christ to the harlot. Hold on, someone's sleeping with a prostitute? 
And Jesus didn't leave during that time? Is that crazy or what? Because that breaks a lot of theology that has been preached. Why do you think people are so self-loathing why they hate themselves? Because they're in this destructive habit and they feel like they have no way out. They don't feel like they can come to God. They can't even go to their own family with it. But what if God never looked at our sin? What if all sin that was ever directed towards him was placed in the body of Jesus? What if Jesus really did take it to hell? What if he really did raise the third day and when he rose, we put our faith in him, we rose to new life with him? What if anything that we ever did was just sin in our body, not in our spirit? When Jesus touched the leper, did Jesus become leprous? What happened to the unclean thing? The disease. It left the leopard. So Jesus made right what was wrong through the curse. Jesus made right by touching it. Well, Jesus just didn't touch your life. He actually moved in. It breaks that spirit of condemnation that says, I can't get free from this because we have the one that produces freedom living inside of us. So anytime we sin, we just sin in the flesh. We don't sin against God. I understand what David said when he said, against you and you only have I sinned. Well, God took all the sin that was against him and placed it in his son. His son hung on a cross so that we could have a righteousness without end. An unending righteousness. Amen. I want to read you some scriptures that I used to really struggle with. I mean, I used to really struggle with these scriptures. That's why I believe that you actually could lose your salvation. These scriptures used to beat me up. And consequently, I would use them to beat other people up. Okay, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 4. It says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. How many of you guys have struggled with that scripture in the past? It's a very hard scripture. When you read it, you're thinking, man, Lord, you know, I mean, if, if this guy can fall away, surely I can too. <laughs> he was with them. <laughs> he was a partaker of the Holy Ghost. He was in those meetings, you know. He tasted of the goodness of the word and seen a part of the world to come. And he fell away. You want to know the key to this scripture that I missed for years? That's found in verse 6. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Let me ask you something. Will Christ ever be crucified again? Look at the words that say, and crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. When was Jesus ever put to shame? When they judged him as a man, not the Son of God. And it says that this person has crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, which means that they made the same judgment that he was worthy of death because he was just a man and not God. 
That's the only time Jesus was ever put to shame. And they re-crucify him to themselves and they say that he was just a man. He wasn't God. He deserved death. And in their hearts and their mind, they re-crucify him. Because you can be in good Holy Spirit services where the good word of God is being preached, where they show you the world to come. You can be in there. You can leave that service and you can say in your heart, this is foolishness. Jesus was just a man. Only time he was ever shamed is when they judged him as a man who said that he was the son of God. And because of that, he was worthy of death because he made himself equal with God. Hebrews is written to Hebrews. Wow, big revelation, I know, right? <laughs> in chapter 1, that's why he starts out, in times past, God spoke to us and to our forefathers through the prophets, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In chapter 1, Right after that, he goes on to talk about how Jesus is greater than angels. In chapter 2, I think it's verse 16, I could be wrong. He says that he took the keys of hell, death, and the grave away from the devil, saying he's greater than the devil. In chapter 3, he says that Jesus is greater than Moses. At the end of chapter 3, in verses 18 and 19, he's talking about how people didn't enter in to the rest, the promise that God had for them because of unbelief. In chapter 4, he goes on to do the same theme of unbelief and how we won't enter in because of unbelief. In chapter 5, he starts talking about the Levitical priesthood and how Jesus was a priest after the order of Melchizedek, not natural priesthood. Chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 6 is still along those same lines and how there will no longer be sacrifices for sin, that he put an end to all sacrifices, that he abolished in his own body, through his own blood, the sin, removing the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which it says in Colossians. It says in Hebrews 9 that he cleansed our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. The whole message throughout Hebrews is the only sin that he is talking about is the sin of unbelief. But if you're reading the scriptures and you think fall away means that this man committed a sin in the flesh, then you'll think that when somebody lies, somebody steals, somebody lusts, when somebody breaks one of these commandments, that they fell away. Read all of Hebrews and read it like you're going through it with a fine-tooth comb. The only sin that you will find is the sin of unbelief because these Hebrews were still turning back to ritualistic laws and sacrifices in order to be made righteous. The only sin he's talking about is unbelief. So in chapter 6, when you read that, it's talking about someone who is refusing to believe in the sacrifice of Jesus. They crucify again him in their own hearts as just a man who said he was God, so he's deserving of death. They put him to an open shame. That's the only time Jesus was ever put to an open shame. The only time he could ever be shamed is when he was judged as a man by other men. 
We're going to go with Hebrews chapter 10. This one used to really mess with me. Oh, man. Because, I mean, even now, when I miss it and I mess up, I always tell the Lord, well, I did that with my eyes wide open. I'm not going to lie about it. I just it felt right at the moment. That guy was being a jerk, and hey, he just got what he deserved. Or, so he must have wanted me to treat him like that. <laughs> I know it's not very Christian-like of me. That's why I said. <laughs> oh, that doesn't happen often. Praise God. I'm becoming more Christ-like every day. I still haven't reached perfection yet. So that's what I'm hoping for. All right, we're going to start Hebrews 10, 26. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much more sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. How many of you guys have read that and I like, didn't even want to keep reading it? Because I've done it. I've started reading that and I'm like, ooh, I didn't realize I was right there. Let me... Let me get away from that for a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, uh, let me not read that right now. I want to go back to, you know, Hebrews chapter 4, where, you know, he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities, that there's a throne called grace that I can go to and receive mercy and grace to help me in my time of need. Because that just makes you feel like, man, you know, I've done it. I've done it. I've sinned willfully. I don't make excuses for sin. I don't say, Lord, Heather made me do it. <laughs> this woman you gave me, I was doing fine, but this woman you gave me gave me some bad fruit. <laughs> Which she doesn't. She doesn't. But even if I respond in irritation to somebody, which has happened, immediately I know right from wrong. Even if their action caused my response, the response that I give, if it's out of a place of irritation, isn't right. So I'll apologize. It may take me a month or two, but I get it done. I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> I usually try to do it right away. I usually try to say, hey, I know better than that. I don't make excuses before God. I don't believe He likes that at all. I believe that if we acknowledge what we did wrong, that He can fix any situation that we did. If we're acting like it doesn't exist, he can't fix it because we don't realize there's a problem. And that's a problem. <laughs> it is. Okay, let's get back to this. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth. If we continue in the sin of unbelief after receiving the truth that Jesus is who he said he was, there's no longer a sacrifice for sin because you're not going to go back to sheeps, oxen, doves. You're not going to go back to that. There was one sacrifice that put an end to all sacrifices. 
So if we sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the enemies of God. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose you shall he be thought worthy who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite unto the Spirit of grace. He counted the blood of the sacrifice an unholy thing and rejected the covenant of grace. It's not talking about sin that you do in your body. It's talking about the sin of unbelief. Refusing to accept the sacrifice. If you refuse to accept the sacrifice and you crucify in your heart Christ all over again, you judge him as a man, you say he's guilty of death because he said he was the son of God, yet he was a man, then his blood means nothing to you. That's what it is. And done despite unto the spirit of grace, which actually means that I can earn it. I don't need this grace. I have a righteousness in the law. He's writing the Hebrews. Remember, they're established in the law. I actually want to go to chapter 3 and read it. And then I'm going to get into chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 11. He says, So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. What did he say was evil in this scripture? An evil heart of unbelief because you don't continue with God. But exhort one another daily why it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. What is the beginning of our confidence? What is that? It's that Jesus made me righteous while I was still a sinner. It's not that my works produce salvation. It's that his death produced salvation, which gave me righteousness. A lasting righteousness. That wasn't dependent upon anything I did, but it was dependent upon what he did for me. Because when he died, he died as me. And when I was raised to life, I was raised together with him. That means I was raised as him. If he died as me, how could I be raised back to life as myself? I couldn't be, because that old man died. And I got a new life. The life that I got was the life of Christ which gave me life. So I was raised together and made to sit with him in heavenly places. His righteousness is my righteousness. I can't dirty this righteousness. I can't break my salvation. I can either accept it or reject it. The only sin that he deals with in Hebrews is the sin of unbelief. Not believing what God said about his son. Not believing what God says about you because you're in his son. Verse 15, while it is said, today if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was the Lord grieved 40 years? 
Was it not with them that had sinned? Okay. He says sinned, right? Was it not with those who had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So what was the sin that kept them from entering in to the promised land? It was the sin of unbelief. They said, we're small in their sight. We're as grasshoppers and they're giants. God brought us out here to kill us. It was the sin of unbelief. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let me ask you a question. Have you believed that Jesus is the Son of God? Then you're not in unbelief. Do you have any sin in your life that God could hold against you? No. Not if you believe that Jesus was the full payment for all your sins. How could your sin break fellowship with God? Like I told Mercy earlier this week, because she was telling me that they had a guest speaker in their school and he was preaching condemnation. And she said, Dad, I just wanted to stand up and say stop. Because he was preaching like God was mad with us because of the things we've done. And I said, Mercy, if God is mad with you, if God is mad with me, let's just check out a life now because where are we going to get help from? If God's mad with us, we might as well just go ahead and end it early. Who's going to help me if God's mad with me? Truth is, he's not mad. He's not even in a bad mood. God's not stressed or depressed. He rejoices over us with singing. He believes that we were actually worth the payment despite where we put him. It's true. Because if you believe a lie, that you can break fellowship with God because of something you did, where are you going to get help from? You want to know why people give up on Christianity and say it doesn't work? Because they feel like they're broken. If I gave up on Christianity and said it doesn't work, that means it didn't fix what I thought it would because I still feel broken. In the midst when you have felt like you don't deserve the presence of God, that you felt unworthy to come to Him? Let me ask you a real question. Did you ever feel like God was mad with you or at least disappointed during those times? I have. I've cried as a grown man. Because in my spirit, all I wanted to do is please my Father. And I felt like I was letting Him down. But what if he made it to where I could never let him down because he always lifts me up? What if you couldn't let God down because he wasn't looking for anything from you? It's really weird, right? It sounds hypocritical because Jesus died so you could serve him. And if you don't serve him, then he's going to judge you. I don't know God as a servant. I did it one time. I was reading Jeremiah the other week. I was going through it. I got to like chapter 13 and I paused for a minute. I said, Lord, I said, I thank you that I don't know you like this. I don't know you. This is hard. I don't know you like this. I don't know you as a God who judges. And I felt like he said in my spirit, no one was ever supposed to know me like that. 
because that's not who I am. The Father was dealing with the children of Israel according to their sin. He deals with us according to His Son because His Son removed the barrier of sin that was between us and Him. In your worst mistakes, God is always the solution. In your darkest place, His face is always towards you there. In your worst times, He says, come and fellowship with me. He raises the poor and the needy out of the dunghill, out of the crap pile. He's in the place of crap with you in order to raise you up. He's there with you in that place. He's not a father that says, I'm not willing to get my hands dirty for you. David was under the old covenant, but had a new covenant revelation. He said that even if I try to make my bed in hell, you will find me there. Like I said, I do not promote sin. But all sin that we commit is in the flesh and it doesn't break fellowship with God. If it broke fellowship with God, none of us could be saved because we were all sinners. If sin could separate us from fellowship, then how in the world are we saved now in fellowship with Him? Because that's what we all were. We actually wore the name of sinner. It was our name. Our name was sinner. Jesus came and He gave us a new name from sinner to saint. When you become a saint, you become righteous. You can't corrupt that righteousness. You're no longer guilty in the eyes of God. This message, when you first hear it, it sounds like it's perverted, but it's because the purity of grace has been perverted. That the gospel, even though it was took out of the religious sector of works, through the blood of Jesus, works have been reapplied to the gospel so that it's no longer grace. Now it's works. And all of a sudden in our generation, all these generations later, we find the majority of the body of Christ are still working to obtain righteousness. A right standing with God. But like I said, He took it out of our hand and He gave us his own righteousness, unending righteousness, that we can't ruin this right standing with the Father. We can't ruin it. Like I was telling my cousin Jesse, I seen something in a dream that he had, and I said, I hope I can articulate it the way that I see it in my mind and I know it to be. And it's the same with the Word. Like when I see it, like Val said, we can't give you revelation. We can give you knowledge. But we can't give you revelation where your mind opens up and says, I see that. But the Spirit of God in us can. He can give us revelation. All right, listen to what Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says. It says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's go down to verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if we're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, what are we hungering and thirsting after? Just the category of being right with God? No. How do we get right with God? Jesus. Jesus. Because blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For His sake, 
because he has made you righteous. You are blessed when people persecute you, when you say that I'm righteous because of Jesus, not because of me. The religious code of conduct that was found in the law, I've been made dead to. We live in a higher revelation of who God is and who we are because God has called us to a place of intimacy. And in that place of intimacy, we find rest. We find rest. Listen to this quote by Smith Wigglesworth. He said, The future is what you are today, not what you will be tomorrow. This is the day where God makes the future possible. This is the day where God makes the future possible. You are what you are today, not what you will be tomorrow. What if you really are righteous now? What if you were as righteous as Jesus in the eyes of the Father? Would you allow him to treat you like he treats Jesus? It's a hard concept, ain't it? God would treat me like he would treat Jesus? Would he? Why not? You're just as much a son as he is. Do you not believe that? That's hard to understand sometimes, ain't it? That, hold on, I'm just as much as a son as Jesus was and is? I am? You are? Co-heirs with Christ? We are just as much children as Jesus is. The scripture says that he's not ashamed to call us brothers. John chapter 17, verse 22. Jesus is talking and he says, The glory which you gave me, I have given them. The glory which you gave me as a son, I in return gave them. The same glory. I said, could God treat you as if he treats Jesus? What did the scripture just say? And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and you love them as you have loved me. Wow! He loves me? Like he loved Jesus? Because I'm no less than a son in his eyes than Jesus was? Wow! Our work is a continuation of Jesus' finished work. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Steve? That our lives carry out the completion of what he accomplished. We're not trying to perform. We're not. I love coming in here because I can be myself. I don't have to act like the whole week was perfect and everything went a-okay. I don't have to put on a fake smile or anything like that. That's why I'm always joyed when I come in here, because there's no mask on me. See, I always felt like I had to perform in order for people to think I was spiritual in my early years. And I got to the point where I disdained that so much that I would rather look unspiritual than try to make myself look spiritual to somebody else. I will, I don't even care. I'll look like a heathen, then yield to that spirit that tries to pressure me to perform 
to make somebody else think I'm spiritual because really it only matters in the eyes of my father. At the end of the day, all that matters is what he says about me. And if he says he's pleased with me, then I can be pleased with myself. Amen. And if other people who feel like they're living at a higher level of Christianity, well, praise God, that's where I'm trying to get. Where I don't have bad moments. I'll use an example. I uh, tried going keto. Well, I didn't try. I did. And I, it was like two days into it. And uh, super irritable. Oh, my goodness. I was so much in the flesh. Oh, I mean, I was short with Heather and the kids. And like uh, the second day, I was like, man, I'm so sorry, guys. I was like, my body is like, I said, every time I get irritated, my spirit is telling me, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And my flesh is like, oh, this is really bothering us. <laughs> and I had to apologize to them because just the lack of no carbs to a body that's used to running off of it, it made me irritable. If you'd have been in the car with us or in the house, you'd have been like, that's the most unspiritual person I know. <laughs> Surely Jesus don't love him. <laughs> but it's the reality that it's okay to fall. I was telling Mercy, you know, you're going to fail in life. And that seems like that's a horrible thing to tell your kid. <laughs> I said, you're going to set expectations for yourself that you fail. And you set them. I said, but the thing is, is that when we fall, it's not a big problem. Like, welcome to the human experience. We've all fell. <laughs> the problem is if we choose not to get back up. The problem is if we choose to lie there and be disappointed that we fell. That's the problem. Because a righteous man falls seven times, but seven times he gets up again because the Lord is his strength. The problem isn't that we ever fall. The problem is that we're not looking to get back up. <laughs> you're going to fall sometimes. Sorry. Not a bad confession over you. It just is what it is. Like I said, welcome to the human experience. <laughs> Should have been born on a different planet or maybe not born at all. That's what Solomon said. <laughs> but God is faithful. The reality is, is that we have unending righteousness. Amen. And we can do things in the flesh that hurt relationships, that break fellowship with man, with our brothers and sisters. But there's nothing that we can do in the flesh that could break fellowship with God because Jesus gave us His righteousness. God clothed us with His own righteousness so that we could never lose it. We have an unending righteousness. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank You. I want to thank You for Your goodness, for Your grace, for Your mercy. I want to thank You, Holy Spirit, that You're the Teacher. And I just ask you to continue to perfect these truths inside of us. I thank you for the service today. I thank you for uh, Miss Michelle. Man, I, I'm so grateful to you uh, for her, Father. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that, uh, that the adoption went through and the papers were filed. Praise God. And <laughs> she's part of the family. And we just received her uh, with such joy. We thank you, Father, for everyone that's here. We, we just thank you for Mr. T. Mark, that he had the opportunity to be at Peter Schwartz and minister a message of no condemnation. We thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace, and we ask you that you just continue to stamp your approval on our lives, which is always there, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, that we're made unto good works, 
they were already preset by you. So just work in us those things which are well-pleasing in your sight. Give us those desires and the ability to do your will. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.